remember 2,000 years ago, there was an announcement made, and that has changed everything. And we're so excited to be able to still announce that announcement to you and to sing it in our hearts. Uh, Christmas time is a challenge, though, I know, to some people. Um, you might be dealing with the memory of a loved one that you've recently lost, um, someone that you care about, uh, maybe through death or otherwise, divorce or the like. And we know that Christmas sometimes can bring back some pain, and it isn't as happy for, for everyone as, as it is for others. So we, we just want to acknowledge that and recognize that for some of us it is a difficult time. And we want to take just, um, I'm going to look at my watch, okay, and I'm going to take 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And I w what I want you to do is I want you to take um, whatever it is that you're maybe carrying this morning, any grief um, or any challenge in your heart, and I want to take some silence, and I want you to talk about that to God. Um, it's not to mope. It's not to um, sort of sit in um, our pain, but it's, it's to release it to our good God who wants to heal us. So take some time to maybe remember something good about someone that you love and go to God with it, okay? So you all, um, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And maybe that's not you, but maybe you know someone who's in pain for them. Maybe you can represent them to God and pray on their behalf for them. So why don't we do that? We're going to take the next few moments to silently reflect and pray. Dear God, I remember when I was a boy, every Christmas would include my grandmother, who we lost some years ago. I remember her laugh. I remember the smell of her food. I remember her love for us and how hard it was to lose her. But God, we thank you, Lord, that because of Jesus Christ, that you'll dry our tears and that you give us a new hope. We thank you, God, for Christmas. We thank you that Jesus Christ came for that reason, because death comes to us all in many different forms, and we need a rescuer. So we thank you that that's what we celebrate this morning, and it can give our hearts joy, even in our darkness. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past Friday, hundreds of people went down to Water Street in Warren, Rhode Island. How many people were there? to celebrate the Christmas festival. We have some people that went. Um, hundreds of people went down um, to various different places throughout town, making Christmas cookies, drinking cider, drawing pictures, and wasn't it a blast? Um, if, you were, if you're like me and you have all these kids, um, it was difficult and it was cold and it was windy, but we got there and we had fun, darn it. <laughs> and finally, we made our way down to the town hall um, with everyone else to flip this giant switch. I think it was Santa. We were a little bit late, so we didn't see it. Um, to flip this switch, and all the lights on Main Street went on, and it was beautiful, wasn't it? But what's all the fuss about? How do we do this? I received an email that night, so we go home, and our kids were already, uh, we, we planned ahead, and our kids were already in, our, in their PJs, and we got them, their teeth brushed and up in bed, and I sat on my couch as my, uh, as my, on my chair um, that Pat Marin gave me. That's my custom. 
and I, I started fishing through my emails and I noticed Black Friday, 50% off Express. Right, that's, the, that's where I buy clothes sometimes, right? And what a great deal. And I started sending links to people that I know that want to know what I want for Christmas, and I would like this, and I would like that. And you guys all haven't gotten your links yet, but you will. All right. Oh, and another one. I got 50%, everything off, store-wide, Old Navy, American Eagle, and another, and another. All this. You got, have you guys been getting those emails, too, in your emails? Yep, me too. Billions of people will literally spend, I looked this up, trillions of dollars in the next three weeks. Isn't that incredible? 30% of, sa- of sa- retail sales happen in three weeks during Christmas time, an unprecedented time of global gift giving. What's all the fuss about? So you, how about this? You turn on your TV. Those of you who still have like channels that you can flip through and you haven't cut the cord yet, um, but you turn on your TV and some channels are going to play the Christmas story movie nonstop until Christmas, 24 hours a day. Isn't that true? Um, and you can find other places on TV. You're going to see Rudolph and Frosty the Snowman and Miracle on 34th Street. Not to mention, I think it's Light 105 or 93.3. The day after Thanksgiving, they play nonstop, morning, noon, and night, Christmas music. Right? Both of them. Yep, okay. So if you want to know where to go for Christmas music, there you go. What's all the fuss about? I have three children. You guys know that? Yep. Noel, Pearl, and Simon. They're seven, four, and one. I think I got that right. And they're beautiful, aren't they? Yes. My, my wife, she was clever enough with each one. When she first learned that she was pregnant, she came up with these kind of different, unique, creative ways to tell me. And one way, I think she wrote on her belly something. I forgot what it was. And she did these different little creative things. And every time we found out that she was pregnant, each time we made a big fuss about it. I think Simon was probably like, we were over it by then. So that was the least fuss we, oh, you're pregnant? Oh, cool. Um, But we did, we kind of made a fuss over him too. Each time it was, because having a kid is a big deal, isn't it? When When you get pregnant, it's a big deal. It's thrilling. But to a certain degree, it's, it's ordinary. It's common. Lots of people have children. But life, in a sense, life, in a sense, is miraculous, so we make a big fuss about it. But, but I should say my wife's pregnancies were not miraculous. Trust me. I know. <laughs> so what's the fuss about Christmas? A surprise pregnancy announced 2,000 years ago. and There it is. That's the fuss. Some virgin woman who supposedly never had sex, is visited by an angel and is told that she would bear the Messiah. That's the heart of Christmas. And the heart of a song that we're about to sort of dive into for the next four weeks that she writes as a response to this news. The incarnation. The creator inside the creation. You might think a woman's womb couldn't hold the creator of all things, visible and invisible. But again, there it is. That's what all the fuss is about. The song that we read this morning that Mark just read for you is probably familiar. It's called the Magnificat. Um, Popularly, that's the Latin for my soul doth magnify, glorify the Lord. 
It's called the Magni- Magnificent. It was th- this song has been sung and written into s- different song versions and sung by more people than any other song in the Bible. Did you know this? And it was written by a teenage girl. It was her attempt to set to words and music what is too great to be explained with words or music. But there it is. She sings it from her heart about what God has done for her. And she's singing the best kind of news that there is, that God has come to save us. That's what the fuss is about. Mary's song explains to us, millennia later, why Jesus is still important, why he's so important, and why he matters. Jesus gives our hearts a song to sing, and it's the best kind of song. It's not, oops, I did it again, right? It's Behold the Lamb. <clears throat> I'd imagine that you all want hearts that can sing, not cantankerous, cranky, complaining hearts. You want a heart that's happy. You want a heart that's thankful, that's filled with love, a heart that can sing. So I I hope that over the next few weeks, we can gather together and think about these remarkable words from a teenage girl who was announced, um, who was given this message that the Savior would come through her. I want to talk a little bit before we get into this text, this, these few verses that I want to read, a little bit about who is Mary. We hear a lot about her. We see her in a lot of pictures. A lot of times her head's glowing. Um, she's in a bathtub a lot um, on people's lawns. Isn't that true? But Mary was, a, was, was poor. Did you know this? Mary was from nothing. Her family was poor, and her name brought her no advantage in life. And that's probably true for a lot of people in this room this morning. Not that we're poor, but we're, we're neither, in, at least in our culture, we're neither rich nor famous. We're sort of blue-collar people. We have to work hard. We have to fix our own chimneys. We have to paint our own living rooms, right? No doubt in Mary's day there, there were daughters of priests, of wealthy lawyers, of rich royalty that the angel could have met with. Young women that were rich and well-educated and beautiful, right? Held in high esteem by everyone around them. You guys know those girls, right? The kind of girl that would get asked to the prom right away by a lot of different guys, right? That was not Mary. Mary was a poor man's daughter. No one thought highly of her or paid much attention to her. She was simple and she was ordinary. Can you identify with her so far? She did her chores, she took care of the animals, and she did what she was told. Good girl. Isaiah chapter 11, did you know this, talks about Mary. We get a view of her, a picture of her, a word description of Mother Mary in Isaiah chapter 11. And you know what the Bible calls her? A dead stump. Isn't that nice? Merry Christmas, Mary. A dead stump. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Mary's the stump. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The shoot and root from the generation of King David is little poor Mary. 
the branch, and the flower is Christ. So Mary is from the line of King David, and we would expect that line to be rich, to be famous, to be well-known, but at the time, they had been long forgotten. They were impoverished. They were no longer royal, sort of like a dead tree stump. The priests and the religious elite, they were the ones that held the place of power and of wealth and respect. And David and his family, they were sort of bedtime stories from the past, forgotten popularity. But suddenly, a shoot springs up from the stump from Mary, this little girl that didn't really matter much to most people. Friends, did you know that when the whole world looks up to the rich, to the famous, to the smart, to the beautiful, when the whole world looks up, God looks down. He looks at people that know that they are not him. And he looks at what no one else is looking at. God exalts the lowly. He exalts the lowly. And he brings down the mighty. He breaks into pieces things that are whole and he puts broken pieces back together. So God had great things planned for this poor little servant girl that no one knew. You see, friends, we're all Mary. You might not realize it. You might think that you're high and lifted up and exalted, but we're all like this. Everyone is broken. We just don't all know it. We think we're whole, but God has oftentimes a way, and if you're older, you'll probably know what I'm talking about, a way where he takes us down so that he can lift us up again. He, He brings us down when we're up here. He breaks us into pieces so that we can realize the condition we've always been in. It's not like when we were up here that was true. We just had we didn't realize how far we were we were from God. So God brings us down. He brings us low. And every day we are after honor and power and applause and so on. Isn't that true? We we're after these things. We want to be thought of highly, looked up to. No one fawns after ordinary people. Isn't that true? Little boys wear Superman capes and Brady jerseys. They don't wear plumber's belts. They're not super electrician for Halloween. Isn't that true? Nobody serves servants. You know that Julian Edelman, you know that w- wonderful football player that we all brag about on our, on, our pa- on our beloved Patriots? One day when he was new to the Patriots, he noticed Bill Belichick in the training facility. He was there like till midnight. And, and Edelman was there late, too, just kind of recovering and thinking about football. But he caught Bill Belichick on a treadmill watching videos of old, old games. And he sort of, throughout the night, he would see him there and then somewhere else, and the guy just wouldn't go home. So he compliments him. He says, Bill, I think it's amazing that you're here so late studying football. You know what he said? Beats being a plumber. You say, oh, that's, I don't like him as much for that, right? But don't, 
don't we sort of, we might not say that, but we're sort of like in our hearts, we sort of believe the same thing. But the Lord, he looks over the whole world for people with the heart of a plumber. That's who he's looking for. He's looking for plumber's hearts. People who know they're not God. People who know that without him they'd be nothing. And they need him to save them. If you were walking down the street, you know, Franklin Street, Main Street, whatever in Warren, and on one side you see Bill Belichick, wouldn't that be amazing? The greatest coach of all time, the GOAT of football. Right? We see him walking down the street, and he's struggling with this big, heavy, like, bag of, of supplies for his, for his team. And something happened, and he's going to be late for his practice. And that's on one side of the street. And on o- the other side of the street, you see this little seventh grader from the Kikamuet Middle School fall off his bike. He's late for school. Who do you help? I know who I'd help. And if you said the kid, you are liars. You would let that kid find his own way to school. You'd run right to Belichick, and so would I. Well, maybe Mary wouldn't. Mary wouldn't. I wouldn't help, I wouldn't help either of them. I'd go get my iced coffee. <laughs> Who said that? Was that Owen? Okay, thank you. <laughs> you see, when God, when we all look up, God looks down. He looks down. We look up to the people up there, don't we? But God looks down to the depths of misery, anguish, and need. That's where God's looking. He regards the lowly. And when you realize you need his help, that you're the one down there, and that God looks down to help you, and you finally look up to him, you finally realize your position in life, your love for him will begin to overflow because you recognize that you deserve none of it, and he saves you anyway. He loves you anyway. He looks to you anyway. God looked down that day at Mary, and he sent his son down to her. He humiliated himself. He became flesh to share in our ordinary, difficult, and sometimes tragic lives. To forgive us, love us, and bless us. That's what the advent of Christ is all about. This was young Mary, and she had a heart that could sing. I want to talk about that a little more because she understood three things. And here's the first thing she got deep in her gut and her soul. The first thing is that the Lord is mighty. It's the first thing we heard. My soul magnifies the Lord. You know that the word magnify means to recognize the high place of God. That's all it means. The greatness of God. To esteem him highly above everything else. God is up here and nothing is above him. He is in the highest place in her soul more than power, more than romance, more than popularity, more than safety. Her soul magnified the Lord. God was in the highest place in her heart. And it wasn't lip service, the deepest part. She said, my soul magnified. Not my lips, my soul. The deepest part of her heart was possessed, filled, ruled by the presence of God and his magnitude. The holiest part of her nature wasn't occupied with something that God had created. His creation was not on the throne of her soul. It was the creator. And might I ask all of us this morning, who or what rules our hearts? What's in there? What's the highest place? What have we made great? What have we magnified? 
You see, an angel had just visited Mary and told her about some things. It says this just before this passage that we read this morning. It says, God sent the angel Gabriel to a virgin pledged to be married. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored from God. And the Lord is with you. See, that was the, you are highly favored from God. The Lord is, another, you know what the word favored means? That God is giving you his undeserved grace. You see, Mary was not without sin. Mary was a sinner. And God had given her his favor. So before she could carry Christ in her body, she needed to be forgiven of her sin, just like us. Before Christ comes into us, into you and me, and gives us life, we need to be highly favored, given the grace of God, undeserved favor and forgiveness. See, that's what happens with Mary. She's the highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And Mary, it says, was greatly troubled. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and you will be called and, and, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will not end. In other words, God promised long ago that all the muck and junk of life, in our lives, in government lives, and even just creation and nature, that God would send a rescuer to save it, to fix it, a king that would come from the line of David, He would first die for our sins and pay for them, and then he would come again to take back the earth that was always his and to fix it. And what the angel is telling Mary is today, Mary, this promise is being fulfilled. The stump is about to sprout. Messiah is born. And you know what Mary says, these wonderful words, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be to me, be fulfilled. Then the angel left. She believes God. She believes the angel's message from God. And it's in this moment, she's not impressed with herself for having been chosen by God. She didn't think, well, maybe the angel chose me because I'm the smartest or most lovely or most beautiful. And how do we know she didn't think that? Because her soul magnified the Lord, not herself. She didn't say, my soul magnifies my beauty, my intelligence, my status, because the angel has chosen me for this wonderful task. No. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I am an undeserving sinner that does not deserve anything from my God, but he has chosen this lowly servant. Her soul magnified the Lord for what he was doing. The Lord was made great in her soul because the Savior was coming to save her. Friends, you'll never be comforted by any of this unless you start to believe what God has said like she believed. First, that he can save us, that you need, that you need to be saved, first of all, that, that there's something wrong, and that something wrong is that there's sin in your life, that it's separated for you from God, that you're separated from his love, but you need to believe that he can save you Not only that he can save you, but wants to save you, to save us. But not only wants to save us, but he wants to save you. That you're not some unsavable exception. You are not an exception to the grace of God. You haven't gone too far. 
You haven't fallen too high from a too high a height, friends. According to the song, the higher you are in your head, you need to fear. <laughs> right? That's right. If you read the song and you follow its implications, the higher you are in your head, you need to fear God because he's going to bring you down. But the lower you are and the mightier God is, to this person he'll comfort and save. How do you know what's ruling your heart? Well, what are you most excited about? What do you praise God for? We praise him when he gives us good things, gives us new jobs, give us, gives us a wife or a husband, things like this. But when things turn on us, oftentimes the singing stops. How dare you? God, why? And We're not his fan anymore. Or maybe we start to magnify ourselves. When God gives us something good, we think, oh, well, of course he gave me this good thing. Because I'm so great. I'm just getting what I deserve. And isn't that one even a little bit worse? Mary receives this momentous, angelic visit and is promised this incredible blessing, but believes herself to be uniquely undeserving of it all. Did you catch that? She believes herself to be uniquely undeserving of anything from God. She didn't give herself credit for this gift, and she didn't even demand the gift. She was simply content with the Father and not with the Father's stuff. And you know what? It's likely sh that she would have been just as glad if God had picked some other girl to do this and rejoiced with her. Friends, our hearts won't sing until God is magnificent, until he's in the highest place in our heart. That was young Mary. What a model for the Christian life to follow. She had a heart to, that could sing because she understood that the Lord is mighty. But she understood something else. This is the second thing she got. That the Lord not only is mighty, but the Lord is Savior. He has come to save. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Her joy was founded in her reconciliation with God through Christ. Her joy was founded in that she had a fixed relationship with her maker, creator, king, her father. That's where she got her joy from. That's where her hose was, pl was plugged into, right? The promise of Jesus was not to her the promise of offspring. She wasn't, she wasn't saying, yay, I'm so glad that I get to have a child, that's not what she was happy about. That's not what she was rejoicing about. My spirit rejoices in my Savior, that he has saved me. Not that he chose me to do this, but that God is saving us. The promise of Jesus to her was not the promise of a son. It was the promise of a Savior. If, all, if this was all Mary was happy about, that she was going to get pregnant, she would treat her faith as a burden and not a blessing. And that's oftentimes how we start to feel about our faith. If our faith is about the things that God provides for us, our faith becomes a burden because we don't always get the things we want. Isn't that true? So our faith becomes a burden. God, be, We become angry with him, jealous of other people. And think about it just logically with me. God, the, the angel is saying, I'm going to give you a son. If that's all it was about to her, this is kind of a bad deal. Because if she's just thinking about her earthly life with, a, with two little feet running around her living room and Christmas spent together, well, they didn't have Christmas yet, but, right, you know, Thanksgiving, whatever, 
Passover, there we go, there's one they had. If that's all she was thinking about, she gets a bum deal. She was accused of adultery, right? She was an outcast in her society. Mary and Joseph had to go into hiding because King Herod wanted to kill Jesus. This is not a great, this is not salvation. This is trouble. And how many people know that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, along comes trouble? But she's not bitter or grumpy or complaining about it. Her, house is, her heart is rejoicing in God, her Savior. Because through the muck and mire and tragedies of life, she knows that on the other side of life is a Savior. One that will dry her tears and fix all the wrongs of her life. She's accused of, of, of adultery. She's got to go into to hiding because of the, this crazy nut of a king who's jealous of, of any other king that might want to take his place. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget that her son was falsely accused, arrested, tortured, mocked, and murdered in front of her eyes. You see, friends, if she's rejoicing because she gets a kid, that's not much joy. But if she's rejoicing because she gets a savior, the kid she loses, she'll get back. And oh, friends, can I get you to consider, can I encourage you to consider, rejoice in God, your savior, not in God, your provider. Because God provides, doesn't he? He provides us food. He provides us health. He provides us clothes. And we should be thankful for those things. I'm not telling you you shouldn't be. But what I'm saying is we rejoice not in his provision, but in him. And what he and who he is, and what he's promised to us, to love us, to be with us forever. To save is to deliver from some sort of danger, right? Let's just kind of be Captain Obvious this morning. That's what salvation means to be delivered from some sort of danger. The heart that is occupied with the Lord is most concerned not about what the Lord gives us or things that we lose in life, but with being in a right relationship with Him saving us from that marred relationship, and he does that. Because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Friends, the heart that sings recognize that the Lord has come to save us, to bring us to himself, to give us through his son what we need most, and that's him. Martin Luther illustrates this well. Imagine, um, he says this. I'm going to kind of modernize this because he, he, he's old. So he, but he's, he speaks of, imagine, three um, lovely young teenage girls. And this handsome boy walks into the room. Right? And now they all start to notice him because he's so cute. Right? And they all kind of want his attention. So the, 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 the handsome young boy approaches the first girl. And he speaks kindly to her. He gives her eyes. You know those eyes? He gives her gifts. He sings to her, dances with her. Oh, lucky girl. The next one, so he's finished with her now. Moves on to the next one. That's kind of like high school, right? Um, moves on to the next one. Doesn't touch her, doesn't give her gifts, doesn't speak to her. But he lifts up her veil and he looks at her kindly. Gives her a, a smile. All right, not as good as the first one, but I'll take it. Right, the, the third one, uh-oh, you see where this is going, right? He passes by her. He takes her things. He rips her clothes. He steals from her. He snarls at her. 
You say, what girl do you want to be? Come on. Of course, you want to be that first one, right? The first young lady represents people who praise God only when he gives them lots of things. Lots of prosperity. Lots of toys. The second one, the second lady, represents those, maybe they don't get as much from God, as much blessing, as much attention. They have a lot less than the first one. Less from the giver, but they still love him. But every now and then they just need, they need a little something from him, a little gift. And so he gives it. But this third one seems to be content with nothing. Content not only with nothing, but being taken, things being taken from her life. Having a hard life. But she's content to know that God is good even though she doesn't experience his goodness with material prosperity. For this one, God is not her savior because he makes her life more comfortable or free from harm. He is her savior not because of perceptible gifts, but because of salvation. Mary is happy because of God himself. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Think of it. That this God, number three, has looked at her. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And isn't that true? Maybe in a way she never would have wanted it. right? But all generations are impressed with this figure, Mary. The God of creation has turned his gracious glance toward you and toward me. And all we need to do is respond like Mary and say, may it be done to us as you say. He looks at us not to harm us, friends, but to save you, to give us himself. God saw Mary's humble estate her low, undeserving position. Mary didn't deserve God's look or his favor, but he gave it to her by his free grace to an undeserving sinner. And she would carry our Lord in her body undeservedly. Undeservedly. And friends, God promises you the same thing that he promised Mary. We think, oh, isn't it great? She had the Messiah growing in her belly. Wonderful. But do you know that he promises that if you come to him, that he lives and abides in you as his house as well? That he takes up residence in, in your heart? And that he promises to take you to his home in heaven after your, after your death? That you'll rise again and never die? You see, you get the same stuff. It's the same promise. You're Mary. I'm Mary. We come to him by faith and he lives in us. We're no different that the promise of God made to her is the one he makes to us, that he will make his home with us and in us if we simply acknowledge him, if we, if we simply look up to him and not up to other things of, of his creation, that we are the kind object of his undeserved and unmerited affection. Isn't that great? The kind object of his undeserved and unmerited affection. That he doesn't look on us because we're good, 
or because we're wise or because we're talented or because we're beautiful, but because he has overlooked all of the unlovely things that we truly are. He doesn't glance up to us. He doesn't say, wow, look how high he is. Come to me. He looks down because he created us and we need him. The high and exalted one looks down to the one who looks up to him. When we acknowledge that we merit nothing but death and separation, and if it were not for God's undeserved look of love, there, there we, we would remain. You know, the focus here isn't on Mary's low condition, right? What did we read before? He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Sometimes we, we sort of underline hum, the humble estate. The, the focus, the underline is not the humble estate, but that he looked on her. He did not need to do that. He looked on her humble estate. That God actually regards and looks on her anyway when she didn't deserve that look. And that's what you and I get, friends. A look you don't deserve from the Creator King. So we don't praise Mary's humility. Oh, no, we praise God for his looking to us and not looking away. The king reaches out his hand to you, to the undeserving servant, and he looks upon not the famous but the forgotten. Oh, friend, who's looking at you? I hope you realize it's Christ and that his look is more important than any others. It doesn't matter once he glances, once, once he looks at us, by the way, and we're saved and we receive him, it doesn't matter how he might dress us up after that. To some he gives five talents. To some he gives ten talents. The blessing isn't the talents, but that we've been looked upon with favor and love by our good God. He becomes our lowliness and our brokenness. And friends, that's the advent of Christ. The high one lowering himself. God becomes flesh, is himself humiliated, taking our sin and forever casting it away. Do you believe it? Friends, do you believe it? That's the advent of Christ. And I hope that we can all pray with Mary and announce to the angelic host like she did that day, we are the Lord's servants May your word be fulfilled to us. Amen? All right, let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you because we want hearts that can sing for the first time. To know and believe that God is magnificent, not us. That he is the Savior and nothing else. And that he looks on us with love in our low places. Should we simply look up to him? God, our moods rise and fall when gifts come and go. But I pray, Lord, that the look of our lovely Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, would give us a heart that can sing. We pray now that, God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, and this is the first time they're hearing that Jesus Christ came, lowered himself, so that he could save us, bring us back to himself, give us what we've always needed, and that is a right relationship with him, to live forever with him, that Jesus Christ died on a, on a cross in our place. Oh, friend, if you're hearing this news for the first time, 
the Bible says to respond. Call on the name of the Lord and be saved, and don't take another moment to not do it. Cry out to God in the silence of your own heart and pray this with me. God, save me. I'm a sinner, and I want to be saved. I want to be right with you. I want to be yours forever. It matters not what you give me after this. What matters is that I have you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, a death I should have died, and rose again so that I could too. Oh, friend, if your heart is praying that to Christ, you are saved and you are safe and nothing can separate you from the love of God. God, we thank you so much, Lord, that as we turn our hearts now to communion,